You know, I begin tonight with a question. Here's the question. What happens when revival comes? What happens when there is a spiritual awakening? Last Sunday, I began the message talking about my observation that I believe more than anything else we need in this country, culture, community, and even in our church, we need a spiritual awakening. The question that I ask you tonight is what can we expect? If there is a spiritual awakening, what happens? Well, we've been studying You may be able to hear me, but I can't hear me. I'm dead as a hammer. Can you hear me okay? Well, I'll make sure you guys, not me, okay? I'm going to try not to shout because when I can't hear me, I feel like I have to shout. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. If you remember, we've been making our way through this book. Do you remember what's gotten us to this point? Let me just kind of sum it up for you. We started off with a divine call. Then he went to a determined run. He determined to run the other direction, a disaster at sea. Destitute man down in the belly of the fish, a distressed prayer. Directed preacher after he got out. God told him to go back and do what he had told him to start to do with. He went to the, he took a decisive action and he went to Nineveh. And last week, we read the first three verses or two weeks ago, the first three verses, last week, verses 3 through 5. And we know that he has now gone into Nineveh, that he has preached, and that repentance has come, and that some changes have happening. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in verse 5. It says, The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, tonight as we look at what happens when you send a spiritual awakening, I begin this prayer by asking you to do just that. I pray that you will not hold back your spirit. I pray that you will send your manifest presence here. How we need a touch from your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that as you speak to us, I pray that we will listen to what you have to say. And I pray it will be us who puts on the sackcloth. Us who bows our head in repentance and humility before you. God, we need something special from you, and we need it tonight in your name. Amen. I think one of the things that catches my attention today 
is that the situation, the circumstances, the environment of this nation This nation is ripe for a spiritual awakening. I'll come back to that at the end. Let's just walk down through here. Let's just see some of the things that happen. I'm going to offer you four things or three things that happen when spiritual awakening comes. You will not argue with me that when Nineveh came, when Jonah came to Nineveh, God said Nineveh was a great and wicked city. Jonah came into the city and he preached the message that God gave him. The message that 40 days and they'd be overthrown if they didn't turn from their wickedness. You have to agree with me if you believe the book that they responded to the call of God. And so I'm going to give you three little thoughts here of what happens when spiritual awakening or revival comes. Number one, I will just say to you, lives are changed. Lives are changed. You look at here. God sent Nineveh, God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and here's what happened. He sent Jonah to Nineveh, and if he sent Jonah to Nineveh, he also gave Jonah the message, and when he gave Jonah the message, he empowered that message. Sunday I mentioned in the message in the message for Sunday morning that um, I had never heard Jack Taylor preach that I didn't sense that he was anointed of God. Have you ever been, hopefully you have, since I've been your pastor for three years? You've heard Brother Jerry, you've heard Brother Terry, you've heard Brother George, uh, you've heard Brother Roy, heard Brother Chris. We've heard a lot of people. I hope that you have sat in a service where you just sensed the anointing of God on the words. Because every time the words were spoken, they penetrated. You may not have liked what was being said. You might not have liked how it was being said. You might not have cared for the message. You may not have cared for the messenger. But you could tell that the empowerment of God was there. Seems to me as I read our text today, particularly beginning in verse 6, that it is obvious that the Spirit of God is empowering the message. It reached the king... When it reached the king, it took a work of its own. Jonah was not there. Think about that. Jo- when the word reached the king, it wasn't about Jonah giving the message. It was just about the message. You see, a lot of times we get confused about the messenger and the message. And the message is what we hold up, not particularly the messenger. Obviously, Jonah was the deliverer, but then... As he gave the message, other people gave the message, and when other people gave the message, God was still moving and lives were being changed. And here's what I think of. I think of that Isaiah passage where God says, My word will not return void. It matters not if you're a pastor. It matters not if you're a Sunday school teacher. Or it matters not if you're the newest believer. When we are giving the message that he has given to us, it has supernatural empowerment empowerment 
and lives are changed. You look in here, people began to, to change their schedules. They began to change their desires. They began to change their attitudes. They began to change their actions. They began to change their, their whole beings because of the message they heard from God. Here's what they come to understand. They come to understand if we keep going the way we're going, God's going to bring destruction on us. May I say this to you? If we keep going the way we're going in the United States of America, God's going to send destruction on us. Isn't it interesting that in the presidential election, that debate, abortion will even be mentioned. And someone would dare stand on a national platform and promote abortion. We have a... If I was just talking to you in the back street, I'd tell you we have a screwed up government. But since I'm in the pulpit, I'll tell you we have a messed up government and messed up laws. Because a woman, let's just take a teenage girl, scared to death, pregnant. She delivers a baby by herself, scared to death, all alone. And she takes that baby and puts it in the garbage can. That's horrible. That's horrible. And we get her and we try her for murder. Now, Twelve hours earlier, if she'd have walked into a doctor's office and had that doctor put an instrument up in her womb and ripped that baby out, it's perfectly legal. What culture are we that promotes the killing of our unborn? It sounds like we have gone back about 2,000, 3,000 years to the time when they were burning their babies. Brothers and sisters, first of all, I don't believe there's anybody in here that, that, that embraces abortion, but we need to understand this. The government does. Like it or not, the government does. 1.5 million little babies every year. Now, Brother Jerry, are you here, this is an abortion talk? No, this is just one of the ills. You can go and say the same thing about homosexuality. There was a time when adultery was a sin. But just think about abortion for a second. And in 40 years, we have gone from it being a crime to being a constitutional right. What does that say about the direction of our government? We talk about change. Yes, we need change. I'm just not sure we need change. the change that one of these guys is talking about. We need a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening where lives are changed. Second thing I'll tell you about a real spiritual awakening is no one is exempt. Now, I know they don't start with the same letter. Can you stay with me? Are you smart enough one night to stay with me? Lives are changed, and no one is exempt. Isn't it interesting that in this city of Nineveh, that it made it all the way to the White House? Truth is, is that it made it to the White House... It says, when the word reached the king. Now, look at those two, word and reached. Word is translated as tidings, as message, and even as news. And the, the Hebrew word there literally means something like an issue or a matter or a cause. Certainly within the city of, of Nineveh, the fact that people's lives were being changed and no one, no one seems to escape it. 
certainly that is an issue that gets to the king. They carry it to the king. And he is not exempt. When it comes into the throne room, when it comes into the throne room, just the message, the power of the message itself changes a king. Isn't that something that, isn't that the power that Jesus has? He changes not only the peasant, he changes the king. The message of the gospel touches not only the select few, it affects everyone because that's the power of God. Make no mistake about it, is that when the message is turned loose, repentance comes. Did you see this? In verse 6, when the word reached the king, when the message came to the king, when the tidings, uh, when he heard about the tidings, he got up from his throne. He's no longer seen as a king in light of the king of kings. He took off his robe, laid aside his, uh, his uh, position, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and, and sat in ashes. The picture of Repentance. Now, repentance is not a big deal, not a big thing that we want to talk about today because if we repent of something, that means we turn, have to turn away from something. And if we turn away from something, that means we're doing something wrong and we just don't do much wrong. And yet the first message that Jesus preached was repent. And you know, I still refer back to this, north is always north. It seems to me that we can kind of squirrel around and try to say this system of belief is about feeling better about ourselves, about getting on the, in on the benefits of our Lord Jesus. But the bottom line is, Jesus still saying to repent. And there will not be a movement of God in this country until there is repentance. And watch this. And when, and when we repent and the Lord moves, repentance is just beginning. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Because as long as we're human, we're going to have something to repent for. There's no substitute for repentance. Now, have you got the two thus far? When a spiritual awakening comes, lives are changed. When spiritual awakening comes, nobody is exempt. Not my mother, not my daddy, not my brother, not my sister. Nobody gets into heaven. Nobody gets uh, in on the spiritual awakening just by osmosis. We all come the same way. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'll tell you, there's one other thing here that I kind of like. I kind of like. Not only... Our lives changed. Not only is no one exempt, but when spiritual awakening happens, you know what goes on? The word spreads. <laughs> oh, Brother Jerry, I don't know about that. You know, the truth is bad news spreads. So let me tell you something. Bad news spreads quick, quickly. I happen to believe that the reason bad news spreads so quickly is because we know that somebody's not going to keep doing bad on purpose if they got any kind of conscience. So we better get it out there before they change their mind and get right about it because we want everybody to know what they did wrong. Good, on the other hand, 
Good has to remain consistent. But here's what I'll tell you. You can mark it down. When an authentic move of God takes place, when true spiritual awakening takes place, you don't need a PR person. You don't have to make up handbills and say, guess what revival's going on? You don't have to put it on the sign that God's in the house and God's moving. You don't have to make flyers and pass them out in the parking lot that God is moving. When an authentic move of God goes on in a people, word gets out. Word gets out. In fact, if you get inside of a, a, a manifesting, manifest presence move of God to where you know that God's in the building, every time, you're, every time you go anywhere you can sense God around you, you get in that move of God, here's what you try to do. You try to keep it quiet. You'll be the most frustrated person in the world. Because if you're not telling it, somebody else will tell it. Because you see, when God moves in us, He fills us to the overflow. And when it overflows, it overflows on everybody else. Now really, that's the way the Christian life is supposed to be. But for some reason, we have taken it down a notch. But when God moves, when He gets in the house, here's what happens. Lives and lips get loosed. Lives get loosed because all of a sudden we find out what real freedom is. We think we know what freedom is. We think freedom is the ability to do what I want, when I want, where I want, like I want. That's our definition of freedom. And the truth is, real freedom will come from being able to be all you were designed to be in Him. If we catch on to what God wants us to do, you know what happens? You better button your shoes because it's going to be a trip. Lives get freed like they've never been freed. And you know why lips are loosed? I have a theory about this. Now, this is not Bible. This is Jerry Watts 101, okay? So you can toss it aside. Here's why I think lips get loosed, and I've seen it many times as I've watched God move. We know we're supposed to tell the message and tell what happened to us. But when we're not filled with the Spirit of God, we're not filled with the confidence of God, and when we... When we're not filled with that special anointing that comes from a move of God, we start talking. And we're afraid to talk because we're afraid that whoever we are talking to can see holes in our armor and chink in our armor. And they'll tell us, you're nothing but a hypocrite. And it frightens us to death. And the Spirit of God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And that's what a spiritual awakening is all about. I don't know about you. But that's what I pray for. I pray for God to start it right here. You, don't, you can go tell your friend, uh, Brother Doug there, Troy. My friend, too. I'm just giving you a hard time. You can go tell Brother Doug. You can tell Brother Rick. You can tell Brother George. You can tell Brother Ed. You can tell whoever you want. But I'm not praying for a spiritual awakening to start over there. I'm praying for it to start right here with some of God's choicest people. Because I think this community has yet to see what can happen when a church decides to get sold out to him and they come to the point of repentance and prepare to do whatever it takes to share the gospel of this community. That's going to mean changing actions. That's going to mean changed lives. That's mean going to be changed schedules, changed attitudes. Things will change within us. And because things change inside of us, they change outside of us. Spiritual awakening. 
not really something we're we know a lot about because it's not something we've experienced in quite a while as a country. Last Sunday, I mentioned the revival of 1860. Actually, it started in September of 1857, and of all places, New York City. Jeremiah and Fear announced prayer meeting happened that September morning Wednesday passed out flyers to all the business people most of you know the story because if I've not told it before I'm sure brother Terry's told it numerous times you've heard somebody tell it he got there at 12 o'clock at 12.05 nobody 12.15 nobody 12.20 nobody finally at 12.30 about a half dozen people showed up and they prayed. They were sitting aside one hour. The next week, it was about 20. It was September. By 1858, there were something like 20,000 people. They said prayer was going on in New York City on Wednesday. And then they went to Daly. And at the end of that, at the end of that awakening... Watch this. I'm going to shock you with this statistic because you think I'm going to give you another one. It is said that one million, one million church members were renewed in their faith. Now, you know what the outgrowth of one million church members being renewed in their faith was? One million non-believers came to know. One doesn't happen without the other. Historians tell us that 1857, the country was primed for a spiritual awakening. Please listen. They'd gone through about 14, 15 years of a spiritual lull because... The founder of the Adventists, William, name just escaped me, I believe it's Hunter. He had predicted Jesus' return in 1843. And when it didn't happen, Christianity was derided, dismissed. In, the, in that process between 1843 Business boom. Now watch this. Business boom busted. And they went into a recession. So now think about it. Fourteen years, financial woes. Fourteen years, spiritual drought. When I read that today, you know what I said in my spirit? Dear Lord, you have set us up in the United States of America once again for a spiritual awakening. Beginning in 1986, 87, we saw one mega evangelist after another 
fault. Today, part of the uh, uh, part of the problems with people's concept of our churches have to do with the fact they see us as hypocrites because of what they saw in the public eye. Christianity is no longer viewed as the way. Today, I don't know what the stock market wound up losing. Last I heard was 400 points. Charlie, how much was it? 514. And people are once again afraid. It is into just such an environment like this that God could well be ready to move. But make no mistake, He needs a Jonah. He needs a Jonah. Well, Jerry, you Jonah, heavens, no. Heavens, no. The last thing I'll tell you about that revival in 1857 is you know who the workhorses in that revival was? Preachers took second stage. I mean, they just preached on Sunday, kept things together. Do you know who the workhorses were? The lay people took up the cause of Christ and they prayed and they witnessed and they ushered in a new day. My prayer is that a spiritual awakening will begin in this place with this people, with us, and that we can change the face of not only Hueytown, not only Birmingham, not only Alabama, but that it would grow to the entire United States of America. And that's what spiritual awakening can do.